0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from the Superhero FX Podcast.
1: And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast.
0: And today we're talking about Minute 112, which begins with Creature TVs, Hans Heymans, Walter F. Heineman, Devin Masato, Patricia Pollock, and Adam Glendon Sidwell and ends with a very, very long list of stereoscopic artists. Uh, once again, it's just me and Andy for these last couple minutes as we're finishing up uh, finishing up a season, finishing up my time uh, with you all as co host which I've really gotten to enjoy. Andy, I think we talked a lot about kind of our general thoughts on the movie. And the last thing I just want to... To, to get on was what were some of the kind of the standout performances? I think we've talked quite a lot already about kind of the, 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 the big, the big picture ones, Natalie Portman, um, Tom Hiddleston, etc. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, uh, looking kind of beyond like the top billing one, Anthony Hopkins, looking beyond the top billing. Are there any sort of acting performances that really stand out for you?
1: i uh, I mean part of it I want to go back to what I was saying in yesterday's minute about the Warriors Three and Sif and that like you know they they captured an element of those characters that um you know i I think there's something there i, I they weren't my favorite characters in this film, but I enjoyed what those actors were doing with the roles, and I think if they had been given the right script and the right lines and the right scenes for those characters like i think they could have very easily been you know some of everybody's favorites just like darcy from this movie you know like i i think that um there's really a lot to enjoy with kind of the joy that that you get from volstag and stuff like that And, and fandral's kind of vain silliness and hogan's grimness like i think we could have had uh, a really special trio of characters that could have found a way to continue through the franchise had they had they um, been treated uh, properly in the in the writing
0: i think that's really true i think you know i almost said this yesterday but we got kind of we moved along but i started joking halfway through this that we could think of the darcy eric and jane as the scientists three to go along with the warriors three and i think it would have been nice to have some kind of a parallel set up between those two yeah absolutely I, I think, though, especially, though, the the acting performance that really stands out for me, and this kind of goes back to the whole minute-by-minute thing, because I think if you look at it in depth, you can see the subtlety of what the actress is doing. But if you just watch the movie, you might miss it entirely. And that's Jamie Alexander as Sif, because I think watching it in this much detail, I really get this beautiful picture of someone who—and this is kind of the headcanon I'm placing on it, but I think this is a a fair reading of it— who has always sort of thought that she is probably the one who's going to wind up with Thor, and that has also—I mean, she loves Asgard. She loves being a warrior. She loves like all the things that Thor is learning to criticize and to be doubtful of. She's never really had to think about too much, and she—and she kind of loves and. You know, I think there's an easy way for that character to become spiteful and jealous, and I hate the mortal, and I want to work with Loki to stop all this. She doesn't do that, and and by the end, especially, I don't get spite, I don't get anger, I get sadness. You know, and that like she has this emotional depth that a lot of the warriors, the warriors three don't, and that she, you know, she she was very much an antagonist to Loki, but she has some sadness about his death, that she cares about Thor. And she's in that place of, I'm not being terrible about it, but the person I maybe am carrying a torch for is is looking at another. And like I said, and, and maybe there's a lot that we're sort of projecting onto it, but I think the, her acting performance is so good and so subtle that it, that it gives room for that. I, I really appreciate that about her performance.
1: Yeah, no, and and she's right there, too. Like, the Warriors 3 and Sif, like, that whole team. And it's funny how she's, like, so separated from them, but also so included. Mm-hmm. Like, she's always, like, right. that tag-along, like, and Sif! You know, <laughs> it's kind of a funny little thing. But I love that. I, well, and that's, I think, to your point, that's one of the things that, you know, really stands out about her. Because unlike the Warriors 3, she is named as a character and treated as a, as a separate character. Whereas the Warriors 3, and we've talked about this, There's an element to them that feel like they come as a package, like, you you know, and they each kind of have their own little shtick and that's kind of what what they are. But Sif is kind of a more well-rounded character in the film and probably why we get more of her in the later films and, uh, you know, even in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. There's just something about her that I I think is really nice and and definitely a character um, that I – yeah, I don't think I ever appreciated as much until – uh, kind of watching it, um, watching her in so closely over the course of it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about some of the credits then. Um, and again, uh, this is me, just the non-movie industry person being an idiot. What is a compositor? Because we certainly hear about a lot of compositors this minute.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're definitely, the, the whole minute that we're talking about here, it's all effects people. Like everybody is involved in one visual effects company or another, and we're still in the digital domain uh, credits when we start, which we talked about last time. And yeah, the compositors, those are the people who are really kind of taking all the effects and doing a lot of the compositing of different pieces together, like actually putting them together. So they're taking the... The footage that they shot with the actors on the green screen stages and, uh, or, you know, and they're compositing it in with kind of like these, these CG backgrounds that have been created. They're doing the wire removal and all of that sort of stuff, kind of cutting all the little wires out for all the actors that are on the wire rigs. Um, And so that's kind of what the compositors are doing. And they're kind of taking multiple pieces and building it together in kind of the finished frame.
0: Watching this, it kind of makes me want to sort of do a, like, side-by-side comparison of the credits for this versus, you know, take some movie that is primarily about people in rooms talking to each other. You know, where it's all about the acting and the story and the dialogue. Maybe it's a comedy or a drama or whatever. But, like, would love to see, like, just how different the credits are when it's not a movie that's super, you know, effects-focused or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's – it's um it's interesting, and you know it's actually kind of fun to do. Every once in a while, you'll find these on like the the bonus features, or sometimes they'll post it up to YouTube. But it's kind of fun to watch the um, the either the effects teams will put out like kind of the little reels of like what what work they did on a film, and it's kind of fun to see like how. Just kind of boring and human. Everything looks when it's just like the green screen stuff. And the funniest oh, yeah. for me is is the stuff where it's like Thor taking flight or something, and you just see Chris Hemsworth do this little jump and then come back down the ground. <laughs> and it's like that's it. And then they you know they take it from that moment and kind of erase his body back on the ground, and then just like have it flying up into space or whatever. And it's, so it's it's always fun to watch those little those little effects reels that they do.
0: I'm sure. Uh, And so we do get a number of uh, other companies now. Do we want to kind of talk about some of those individually?
1: Yeah, let's just kind of go through uh, some of these and and we can talk about just briefly what each of them, uh, what their role was for the film.
0: Sure. Uh, So first, let's do Fuel VFX, which I assume is Fuel Visual Special Effects.
1: Correct. Correct. Fuel had, um, they got involved in this um, in 2009 working with Marvel, and they did some work on Iron Man 2. And so they came on this. uh, They worked on uh, some of the Bifrost shots, Um, not all of them, but some of them. Um, because one of the other companies uh, on this list also did some Bifrost shots, but they did some of the Bifrost stuff, and then they also did all the work in Odin's chamber with, as you call it, the Odin jelly—kind of that, yeah. <laughs> kind of that, the golden glow that's that's over Odin. So that was really uh, what they specifically focused on.
0: So that wasn't Anthony Hopkins having to like have someone make a thousand packages of jello and wrap them around him or something <laughs> right, like that.
1: Exactly. No practical he, effects. Give us
0: practical jelly, and
1: then he would eat his way out when uh, they call a uh, wrap. <laughs> <laughs> uh so that's fuel VFX.
0: Okay. Cool. And then we have uh Luma Pictures and Evil Eye Pictures.
1: So Luma Pictures, their specific thing that they focused on was the destroyer. Um they they did all of the dis- I mean, I you know, there was an actual destroyer, like I believe it was a 10 foot tall thing that they had on set t- for some of the shots. But, uh-huh. I mean, it obviously wasn't really mobile or anything. They would just kind of set it up and do a little bit of stuff with it. Uh, largely, though, it was kind of this CG one that they had created. And so they did some great work of that. They also uh, did the Bifrost, the atmospherics and effects and like the big tornadoes and some of the fire destruction. So their destroyer work, I really like. Some of their stuff that they did, I wasn't as much a fan of when it comes to the atmospherics. Like we talked about some of the clouds mm. not looking that realistic, the big tornado, yeah. uh, some of the fire effects. Um, that's, you know, some of the stuff that I was like, a eh, l- little less impressed with, but, uh, but man, the destroyer, I love everything about the destroyer.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's super fair. And what about evil eye pictures?
1: Uh, evil eye pictures. I believe they, uh, did a lot of the stuff um on asgard like um i believe it was stuff like uh at the very beginning when thor comes into uh, the throne room to um uh you know raises his hammer and he's you know walking down to see his dad and everything um mm. at the very beginning i think that they uh, did a lot of set expansion uh, adding crowds and stuff like that
0: okay Cool. And it's again interesting that, like, it's so – because you'd think, again, wouldn't it be easier to just have one company that's big enough to do all of this? But I guess because we're talking about very specifically different – like, different kinds of things, and so one company might specialize more in this one particular area and somebody else in, exactly. in a different area?
1: Exactly. And and I think a lot of it is, like, there really isn't – I mean, I mean, you can see the names. Like, no company has this many people. Like, there's just yeah. so many people that you have to get uh, to work on this. This sort of stuff—it's—it's it, a little overwhelming, and so—and you know, a lot of it. These companies um, have so much work to do, and unfortunately, sometimes overwork their people. I, you know, there was a big story right around this time, actually, when um, Life of Pi was such a big, beautiful, beautifully created CG movie, and the company that did all the effects for it won uh, Best Visual Effects for at the Oscars, and they had already gone bankrupt because the movie. Uh, they it put them out of business because they had so much work to do they didn't get paid enough to pay all of their people and they had to declare bankruptcy and shut down oh it's terrible like that's what happens with some of these visual effects companies it's very frustrating yeah and so um it's it's a hard balance of of giving these uh film people what they want and also finding a way to kind of manage the business in a way where you're not um you know uh running running it into the ground
0: yeah, I think I may have told this story before. This is more on sort of the the the, the factory aspect of this all. But I, I had a good friend who, you know, he had gotten his degree in computer animation, uh, gotten a master's degree in it, and then got hired by Pixar. And this was when they were making the Happy Feet movie. And so he was super excited. And then he went to Australia for two years. We didn't really talk to him. And he came back. And he was so like disillusioned with the whole industry and wanted nothing to do with it, because you know I, I, you know he was a guy right out of school, he had all these ideas and he clearly had no idea what he was getting into. But what he wound up doing was he spent two years like every time a penguin had to move its left foot in this in this movie, there was a specific thing that he had to do, so he just went through every single shot and made sure its left foot got animated to do this particular thing <laughs> and it was just like. Yeah, when you have this many people animating this – and that's, that's animation, not CGI, but there's obviously a lot of crossover there. Like, yeah, it's, it, you can see why it should be – this isn't just like – I mean the artistry, it's amazing, and I'm not taking that away. But clearly it's just so much like just busy work that has to get done to to make this all happen.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is.
0: Uh, so Whiskey Tree I, I would love to find a Whiskey Tree because <laughs> I would be picking things off with branches but what does Whiskey Tree do?
1: Uh, whiskey Tree is another visual effects company and they, what they worked on uh, is a lot of the exteriors of Asgard all of kind of the establishing shots those beautiful pass-throughs they're the ones that I would love to talk to to figure out what's up with these flying buildings that we saw at the very, yes. yeah. the very beginning of the film um, they also did all the stuff like when you saw like Thor and Loki talking um, as Loki convinces Thor you know by way of deception to go to Jotunheim and invade they're the ones who took like the the green screen backgrounds behind the two of them um and created like the the exterior opened it up so you could have giant windows basically that opened up to asgard so they were kind of doing all of that sort of work on everything in asgard just kind oh, of like cool. allowing the city to really exist and yeah so when we're watching those deleted scenes and you see like you can see the flames look a little Funky and there's the kind of the green. They're the ones who would come in and kind of clean up all of those uh, all of those shots through anything Asgard.
0: And then lastly, we have a Stereo D LLC. I'm guessing they have something to do with music or sound effects.
1: Uh, neither. Uh, they are actually <laughs> <laughs> you'd think, but it's actually um, stereoscopic, and their entire job with this film. Remember, this was that period in time. 3D was very big. They did the 3D conversion for the movie. So Stereo D LLC, oh, okay. they came in and all of their different artists would basically rotoscope out the different elements within the frame, like each of the the actors or whoever it was, the backgrounds, the objects and and basically create a three-dimensional space where is this actor in front of that actor? Well, they're going to be a tiny bit farther forward, and this actor will be a little farther backward. And here's the background. It's going to be in the back. And and do that frame by frame through the entire film to basically create that 3D world. Since they're not shooting these movies, almost none of the 3D movies that were coming out you know, had actually right. been shot in 3D. I mean, there were a few, but largely they went through this 3D conversion process, which, you know, some of them were better than others. Uh, <laughs>
0: Yeah. One of my questions is what is a stereoscopic artist, and so yeah, okay. And I guess that that I see why there was so many of them because I,
1: <laughs> right. I mean,
0: I think 111 minutes. What is there like 60 frames per second, something like that? 24. Little, little different. 24 frames per second. Yeah. So, um, okay, Google. What is 24 times 60? Uh, I'll, I'll get this <laughs> math later. But yeah, it, it just seems like it's a uh, yeah. If you 24 per second, and then for. 60. Okay, so it's about one. It's about one thousand one thousand four hundred and forty times that by one hundred and eleven. That that's a that's a lot of frames to do. Yeah,
1: so a lot of work. Yeah. absolutely. They keep busy. All right.
0: Well, uh, that's all the notes I had. What about from you? Any other stuff you wanted to to bring up for us?
1: Um, just that. This is our minute where we finally get uh, or we're done with Foo Fighters and we can move into back to some Patrick Doyle music. So. Yeah. Um, it was a very nice change. It's like, oh thank God, I forgot this song would finally end. I, I kind of hit this point where I'm like, this song's never gonna end.
0: Uh so I did uh with myself muted, I got a little more help from Google. Uh it is one hundred sixty five thousand six hundred frames in a one hundred fifteen mo- minute movie.
1: Yeah, so, just a just a little that's, bit of work.
0: It's a lot. That's a lot. Um well, think yeah, about
1: like think about how many of these people spend like an entire year like all they do is come into the office and work on uh you know individual frames of a movie just kind of working on pulling different elements out and and creating a 3d space for it so it's uh, it's crazy
0: and it's funny just going back to the music like the music by patrick doyle is so good like when i was back to hearing that music for the credits it like pulled me right back in and it just it just for me reinforced why how much you didn't need that foo fighter song you know and i we keep hitting on it it's this happens sometimes i'm sure all the time but it reminds me of and to go way way back into movie history and this is by no means a a work of cinematic genius but the um robin hood movie starring uh, morgan freeman uh and yes kevin costner um <laughs> you know which is i think a, a fairly good version of robin hood it's alan rickman in one of his best roles as the sheriff nottingham so good and it's this great kind of period piece move peep movie and then it ends with a Brian Adams soft pop love song. And like, don't get me wrong, I love me some Brian Adams, but wow, that was the wrong, like, fit for that movie in the credits. so. <laughs>
1: but at least, at least in that context of that movie, and this is just a little bit of justification, he worked with Michael Kamen, the composer, and Michael Kamen, like, they actually integrated the theme from the song into the love theme in the movie. So at least there is that integration between the two.
0: So I do need to let people know, I did not warn Andy that I was going to make a poll from a, like, <laughs> mid-80s, like, 90, Robin Hood movie. 91. He just has... All of this information at the touch of his fingers. That's right. So, that's right. That's
1: impressive. <laughs> Either, right. Some might say maybe pathetic, but, you know, that's what it is.
0: <laughs> Look, the amount I can tell you about, you know, crot dragons and stuff like that in Star Wars. <laughs> uh crate dragon yeah. uh, cuz someone's going to yell at me about my pronunciation <laughs> all right andy uh help get me out of the star wars morass uh any yeah, right. last things you want to say or can we wrap up for the minute
1: i think we should wrap this one up let's uh let's close shop for the day and we'll be back tomorrow to talk about 113
0: Awesome. Well, Andy, as always, thank you so much to our fans. It has been, you know, i got three more of these to go, but I just want to say it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for letting me, uh, both Andy and everyone at Next Reel, and to all of you. Thank you so much for letting me be one of your guides through this movie. I had such a great time. Can't wait. I will not be coming back as a co-host for quite some time, uh, because I do like getting to see my partners and things like that, but looking forward to coming back as a guest and maybe co-hosting at some point in the future. So, thank you so much for making this possible. Thank you so much for being great fans, and have a great day.
1: Until next time, true believers.